Hey guys, today's episode, I'm joined by Nick Myaritis. He's an EVP at VaynerMedia. Today is episode 17. I called the last episode, episode 18, for whatever reason. I apologize if there's any confusion. I was a little out of order on that. Anyway, in my conversation with Nick, we discuss his background, his early passion for marketing and advertising, how he ultimately found his way to VaynerMedia, and we get into some of the things that Nick's been involved in. He's been involved recently actually throughout his career, as, as, as you'll come to hear, he's been involved in some really exciting projects. We also discuss where he's seeing and having opportunity on social media for both his personal accounts and in the business and brand world. Um, another thing that I'm going to start doing on some of these podcasts is at the end of this, at the end of our conversation, you're going to hear a podcast B-roll. I don't know if that's a thing, but I'm going to start including some of the behind the scenes or off the air conversation that uh, I have with guests, you know, literally or, or quite frequently a guest will join the, the podcast and, and we have a conversation a little bit about each other or what we're up to. And, and I think that some of that's valuable. So everyone likes a behind the scene look. So at the end of this conversation, there'll be two or three minutes where Nick and I are just catching up. Um, so enjoy that. Also, Nick had to dial in for this. So you'll hear, you can tell he's not on a microphone. And that's a little bit of the nature of, you know, some of these podcasts being recorded remotely. So on my end, I'm in the studio. You'll hear clear coming through the microphone. But on Nick's end, he's calling in. So um, bear with the audio. It's not terrible, but you'll you'll notice that it's not microphone to microphone. Anyway, I hope you guys enjoy our conversation. I wanted to have kind of a, a three-part conversation with you. I want to know you a little bit and have an understanding of how you and your role at Vayner came about. And, um, but then I want to get into your head and find out a little bit about where you see marketing and advertising and how you kind of navigate that world and, and kind of pick your brain a little bit. Sure, sure, sure. So start. You're an EVP at Vayner. Um, yep. For a little context, what's that function? Um, so quick, quick um, kind of backstory. So I just celebrated my two-year Vayner-versary. Uh, which is a really big deal in our in our company, and so we've been around for ten years. I've been here two of them, um, and the two years have been absolutely you know phenomenal on so many levels. And what I'm really tasked to do is, is pretty simple, which is um, to really I always say like create the atmosphere in the place for creativity to flourish in all the ways it can, um, so that we can um, have a company and a and a, and a human. And, organization that love each other and make the best work of their lives um, and doing so um, grow businesses and so uh, our own and our brands and so I kind of there's a million functions underneath that that you know are you know we could talk about for two or three hours but really um, that's what I try to do every day is just bring a certain energy to the place to to unlock you know all the possibilities of having such a talented and diverse group of humans come together to help brands grow all right. I, I mean, have, Nick, have you always been in marketing? Has that always been a part of you, advertising? When did that kind of come about? Yeah, my story's kind of funny. Is I, I was a uh, you know an athlete growing up, like like a lot of kids, and I also had a weird fascination um, for advertising and marketing. And so, while I might have had a Michael Jordan poster up in one corner of the room, I also had probably no fewer than two dozen or so absolute 
vodka print ads, if you remember the famous sure, you know, campaign, yeah. <laughs> um, that I used to rip off the back of Country Inns magazine, which my mom didn't really like, and she liked even less, which she'd walk into my room and be like, what the hell's wrong with my son? He's, you know, he's grew, grew up to be an alcoholic or something, loves vodka. Um, so I always had kind of an insane interest in advertising and um, paid really close attention to advertising in a way that like is just not that normal in terms of I just loved watching ads and then you know studying them and knowing like the jingles the characters the spokespeople and so um, it was always kind of something I was fascinated by and then I grew up in the restaurant and hospitality business you know with my dad and grandfather who are entrepreneurs um, out in Long Island a place called Stony Brook they owned a, a, a pretty famous place called the Three Village Inn on the north shore of Long Island at Stony Brook and from the very earliest, uh, you know, moments there, worked in just about every capacity you can work in from like, you know, Bread Boy and Easter Bunny when I was like six and seven years old, all the way to um, sales and marketing for booking weddings and, you know, doing things that at the time were somewhat revolutionary that now sound rather mundane, which is like booking hotel rooms through the thing that is called the internet. Which, <laughs> when I first started talking to my dad and grandfather about all of that, it was like, what are we doing? And this can't possibly be you know, a good use of anyone's time. And so I really kind of had the fortune of being born at the right time in the right moment in the right business to really experience um, a lot of you know digital technologies and how disruptive they were, especially in the field of marketing. And then from there, went to Georgetown University, studied marketing, um, and uh, you know kind of got very interested in theology as well as as you do at Georgetown, which is in a whole other podcast we can talk about, <laughs> and or we, can, or we can talk about it here. And um, from there, ended up we um, sold that business, and at really like twenty one or maybe twenty two. Um, really fell into uh, Saatchi and Saatchi, which is the global agency. It's about 2006 at this point and um, had not really thought about becoming, you know, a, a corporate person in any way, having grown up with entrepreneurs and only knowing that, but met some really interesting people who basically um, had the ultimate pitch, which was, we're not an ad agency, we're an ideas company. And if you come here, you know, you can spend your life just coming up with ideas. And I was like, wow, that's fascinating. <laughs> like, <laughs> and um, I really just fell in love with, you know, the notion of, of what is it that mean, you know, being an idea person means. And so um, ended up joining and worked on the General Mills business um, at Saatchi and Saatchi, which was literally my, uh, you know, dream job. If you can understand for a kid who loved advertising, getting to work on, Cocoa Puffs, Tricks, Lucky Charms, Reese's Puffs, Cookie Crisp, uh, Wheaties, and all these iconic brands. And for me, like, it all just became, like, so um, just unreal when I was sitting in the booth in, like, the first month I was there as, I don't know if you know the serial characters at all, but um, Sonny the Cuckoo Bird is Cocoa Puff. Yeah, um, of course I do, yeah, yeah. And in walks... Uh, the voiceover who we wrote the script for and the second he starts speaking munchy crunchy <laughs> I literally almost fell out of my seat to be like pinch me this is the best fucking job on the planet like I just won the lottery and um, you know I, I kind of from that moment on just really studied all aspects of what the field of communications um, you know was is and what I thought it might be and again, through kind of serendipity of, of timing and luck of where I was at with the company and the, and the 
partners that we worked with on the brand side, found myself just falling like heavily into the digital side of, if you could imagine at that time, coming from Georgetown being one of like the first 11 or 13 schools that had Facebook as an application on their desktop. Um, I got pushed into rooms as a 22 or 23 year old where it was like, there's a thing called Facebook from all the senior people. <laughs> right. I was like, yeah, there is. They're like, we hear it's like a thing and we don't know what it is. So like, you're the guy who needs to go talk about Facebook and this Twitter thing and what this all means and this and that. And I was like, I found it so amazing and remarkable that, you know, here I am, this very inexperienced ad agency person who's got the dream job of, you know, although making no money, uh, making stuff that I was just so insanely proud to be a part of. And then really, you know, that, you know, timing of everything's going to explode in terms of new media all happening at once. And so I just felt like I got this amazing crash course uh, in experience, um, which has for the past 13 or 14 years, that however many years it's been, um, just been playing out in a way that, you know, seems obvious with what happened with technology and media. But at the time, I didn't realize just how disruptive it was going to be. And so just like the Expedia experience of my dad, like I've had a lot of those types of moments where even today I'm sitting in a room talking to somebody about TikTok, who is very senior in a marketing organization being like, what is TikTok? Right. And <laughs> so I pinched myself there as well, just being like, wow, the patterns and what you observe over time, you know, the, the topics change, but the, but the patterns are kind of the same. So, you know, I've, I've been blessed to be able to kind of do every role now um, within the ad agency world with the dream of always just leading bigger teams and, and creating better work and driving bigger business results um, for all the people I get to partner with. Yeah. So we have uh, probably, a, we're probably similar in age. So, because uh, um, I'm, I'm just kind of doing the math here around the years. Did, did you run into a speed bump at all when the kind of financial crisis hit and you're just getting your career like really churning? You know, I would say, I, I would say no in so much as, you know, again, I was working at Saatchi in 06, wasn't there for the money, you know, um, and I think, you know, basically was able to weather the storm of, of what that was, because although it was, you know, abysmal for a lot of, you know, industries, a lot of the brands that I had the privilege of working on were actually seeing it as a big opportunity to invest. Yeah. And although like the agency, I wouldn't say was killing it at that time, things weren't as broken as they were for a lot of my friends who were making a lot of money at that point in finance, you know, 16 blocks away from me at Saatchi. And so it, it was more of a, wow, I seem to have dodged a little bit of a bullet here. My friends are literally like, carrying boxes out of Bear and, you know, Lehman. And I'm here in, you know, making cookie crisp ads. Like, things seem pretty good. So, you know, it's funny. I, I you know, had, I guess, the luxury of, of, you know, weathering the storm in a company that really didn't restructure itself or have any major debt that, you know, needed to be paid down or something. So I feel like wasn't that disruptive. Um, so... As um, you're kind of coming up through the ranks at Saatchi, you're working with the big brands, you're having all this crazy exposure, which is, you know, life altering, considering that you're working on brands as a kid that I'm feeding my kids that cereal tomorrow morning, <laughs> right? Like when you, how do you find your way to Vayner? Is that something that the brands kind of co-aligned somehow? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a fun bit of, you know, serendipity, timing, luck, all of those things wrapped up in one, which was, um, 
you know, some of my close friends um, uh, ended up coming over to Vayner from Saatchi. Um, our CFO and our chief operating officer, now the head of Sasha Group, James Orsini, um, and Alan Harker, our current CFO, were all ex-Sachi people who really, you know, I was always close with and, and had a lot of respect and learned a ton from. And um, I happened to probably, um, probably about six or eight months into starting um, uh, this company called Fleetwit, which is a trivia company that um, we helped build, me and a couple other people, um, we um, were out raising money and I had a conversation with a couple of my friends over at Vayner and they said, you know, you should go meet Gary. And I was like, oh, wow, like, you know, Gary V, like, you know, it's funny, the last time, you know, I really thought about Gary and I haven't really talked about this that much, but he had actually, from our Saatchi uh, experience, from my Saatchi experience, he had taken big scopes from us at VaynerMedia on a, on a business, like seven-figure deals. And at the time, that was like, what? I had just like signed this big scope with this client, and he came in and took like a million dollars away. And I was like, what? Is, how did this happen, VaynerMedia? What is this whole thing? So the last time I had really like given much thought to anything around Vayner was, damn, there were the people who stole a million bucks and put me in a really bad position with, with the team. And so I ended up meeting Gary, um, you know, more to talk about, what's going on at Vayner, but, but, but specifically too, like I'm building this company. I'm, I'm currently in this publicly traded company. I, I kind of need the freedom to do both and just, you know, excited to meet him because he's such a, you know, interesting and prolific human, uh, you know, from the outside looking in for sure. And so, so wait, did you that, not take the approach Nick of like that a lot of folks take on the competitive side where they're like, fuck him? No, not at all. Like I actually was, it's really funny is, in, in I actually read Crush It, yeah, and in a weird way, like, and it's again, it's, it's like more of almost like a, uh, you know, looking back, it makes so much sense, but it just kind of clicked, and it was funny, even within the culture of some of the teams at Saatchi, that book, and then I think Thank You Economy, and a, and a few of them were like they became kind of playbooks for me in terms of like I really believed it and felt like someone finally wrote what I believed a lot. You know, when you read something like that, that kind of validates like you're not crazy. Sure. And, and, and I felt like, wow, like I just feel like, you know, that's a, um, like an interesting character, um, who's doing interesting things. And I never really processed him in the, in the light of, Oh, that's just an advertising person, you know? Cause I, I really think that box is just one of 20, that you could try and put someone like Gary into. And so, um, you know, in, in meeting him, it was more like, I'm just so excited to meet what seems, you know, from the outside looking in, it's such an interesting and compelling human, right? Who, who really is doing a lot of good stuff with the advertising piece of it being very secondary. Um, yeah. And which, two years you know, ago, he's kind of becoming that celebrity, like, you know, he's getting quite a bit of attention and noticed and, yeah, and and really, like you know, if, you know, having known him now for for over two years, you know, it's probably two and a half years ago when we first started talking, um, is just a you know ridiculously you know <laughs> humble and also um, you know like positive, optimistic, and genuine human that when you meet for the first time, like if you had a you know a view 
filtered through Instagram or through the media or through books, very quickly the human that is, Gary, you start to understand the spirit of where a lot of that comes from. And there's just such a genuineness to him and, and such kind of an original um, aspect of who he is that, like, you know, it is, uh, you know, feels very familiar in some ways, too. And so none of the, you know, kind of like, oh, you don't want to meet your heroes thing. Right. But with him, it was like, oh, I met somebody and they're, they're actually, like, more interesting and and really, you know, genuine in person. And they, and they really give a shit. And, like, he's not just saying that. And so... And I say that as someone, obviously, who's employed by him. But at the same time, I wouldn't be employed by him unless I really believed that. So, you know? And so, you know, that's, that was when we first met. When you walked, when, when you got the role that, that you have, were, like, was that a big deal for you? Yeah, it was massive. You know, I, I think on, on so many levels was, was really, you know, um, a life-changing decision for me. And so much as I had only ever worked in really one place and then, um, did the Saatchi thing, you know, so I, you know, I worked with my family, which wasn't a job, you know, like when you're in the entrepreneurial world, family business, like that's just life, right? Even though it, other people would look at it as a grind. Sure. And then at Saatchi, it became what that was for me was Saatchi was my home, you know, like leaving that was really, really challenging. You know, like these are people that, you know, I love and have grown up with from the time I'm 21. Um, and so, just contemplating that move um, was really massive where I, I was only going to go move into something that was exponentially um, more potentially fulfilling and, uh, and great than my current role, which was amazing. You know, I, at that time, um, you know, I was privileged to work with the most amazing people on the planet in many respects, um, doing things like, you know, helping lead the Tide business in North America um, and do things like, tied ad on the Super Bowl and reap all the rewards and positive stuff that comes from that. And so in no way was I like running from an opportunity or a bad situation at Saatchi with all of those amazing people. But it just became so clear that from a what's next and a compelling growth opportunity was being able to, you know, have, um, you know, a, um, a freedom to work between <laughs> a startup and, and do what I do. Uh, and continue to advise other companies and things like that outside the publicly traded world was big, but but way more importantly was the ability to come and you know um, really learn from not just Gary but the team of people that you know su- supporting him um, to to just how to you know take this all to the next level and so you know that's like um, just a massive privilege and and so wildly different from the experience that you get in the publicly traded holding company life. And I just really saw, you know, from initial meetings with Gary is, is somebody who, you know, I always say is like in the ad game, but not of it. And so he really exists as, as more of a, um, you know, disruptive force in the structure that exists within the advertising sphere and the way that clients see us, but with an end state that's very different from any ad agency on the planet, given his ambition, is to build a machine so that we can purchase brands and to actually use this machine to build those brands into better brands and sell those brands all culminating in um you know him uh uh, buying the new york jets and so he's been very clear and open about that for you know a decade now since he started the company and i found that mission and purpose which, you know, is um, unlike any other in our industry to be so fascinating and for a future, 
you know, for me in terms of learning and, and, and growth, that was, you know, astounding. It's like, I, I want to be part of that. Yeah. I, look, I've got <clears throat> written down here, like the one question to ask you, but you've already kind of, it's kind of an obvious question. So I, uh, I'm going to ask it anyway, but, and then the follow-up question is about the Super Bowl this year. Any like holy shit moments, but you've already talked about, I mean, you've already had them at this point in your career as we've kind of come up. You've got these iconic brands you're working with, the Tide Super Bowl ads, and then the Super Bowl 2020. I mean, there's a whole bunch of holy shit moments there. Yeah, you know what? It's What's funny is uh, kind of, you know, I had a, a lot of catch-ups today in the office, a lot of one-on-ones. And for me, the, the holy shit moments are, are a little different than maybe, you know, how, the obvious ones which I've done a lot of Super Bowl. I've probably done 15 Super Bowl at this point. You know, I've, we've won a lot of can lions and effies and every statue that people want to give you in this ridiculous industry. And I'm so fortunate. And, you know, the teams that, you know, you know, worked on all that stuff, like it, it's so great to be recognized. But the thing that I look back on now, having been doing it a little while, you know, um, is that, it really is like the holy shit moments. Wow. Are for me, the much smaller moments where the, like I started at the top, um, where the atmosphere clicks and there's just like these perfect creative moments where really good shit happens and everybody feels it. And there's no longer client and agency. There's no longer departments. There's no longer, you know, the elements that sometimes, you know, uh, are the things that really stifle creativity and they happen in small bits. So like this year on planters, for example, like the thing I get most like excited and almost choked up about because I've become overly sentimental about these types of things <laughs> is, is, is the meeting when we first pitched that idea around, uh, Mr. Peanut <laughs> being killed and the way that the team together, not just the Vayner team, but the team in Chicago with Kraft Heinz and our team came together to just create that idea from like one common place where it was just such like a sublime thought that, Oh my goodness, this is where this all goes. And we have to do this where it, it, it's not like you're pitching. It's, it's, you're kind of co-creating and building from a place of shared, like mutual creative respect and understanding. And so that's why I mean, when I use these words, the way that I use them of like creating the atmosphere to unleash creativity in all its forms, is it's a weird thing that I've learned after doing all these things that seem like holy shit moments. The thing that goes underneath them that's the more important thing is it's never about just the individual talents. It's how does what is the weird alchemy of all those talents coming together to produce something that by themselves they could never do in the same way. And it's it's a lot of like the, you know, stories of amazing creative collaborations over time you know the most obvious one i always like to talk about because i think it's i've heard steve jobs talk about it and it just clicked with me because i was such a big fan of the band but was the beatles you know like individually these great musicians who could produce a, you know good music you know some hits but together the four of them like wow they're the fucking beatles they can write a hit every six minutes Right. And so those type of collaborations are the ones that are the holy shit moments for me. When I see people come together who we've cast together, and that's kind of how the way I think about my role ultimately is like, how do we, how do we cast teams and not just again on the Vader side and on a brand side, but like together the energies of those people 
to unlock and unleash creativity. And so that's that's kind of where I'm at in terms of the thing that brings me the most fulfillment. Uh, this, this you know these days are are seeing those moments where it all clicks. I'm 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 thrilled you answered it that way because that's almost the difference between a culture that you guys have and a culture that is just going after the metrics or the the award, right? Yeah, well, I think what's funny about it is what I learned about a lot of you know um, this game in particular is is just about anyone can produce something great as defined by either a group the business or a one can lions or won the Super Bowl can produce something once, right? You can put enough elbow grease and get enough luck but you can do it once. And after I had a taste with this, for me, it started probably like 2008, I think was the year we did it, when we did the Miller High Life one-second Super Bowl ad, um, which was at like peak recession. We ran a one-second Super Bowl ad, and it blew up in culture. And I was like, wow, how the hell did that just happen? I, I want to do that again. And then there was actually a few years in between that moment and when I really kind of had another one of those moments. And it really got me thinking of like, how do you actually make that, which is really hard and seldom achieved in an industry ever, how do you make that somewhat scalable? And when like scalability became the brief in my mind, it was like, oh, this is a model and a system and a framework. And that's what I love most about, you know, being able to work um, here at Vayner for Gary is he recognized the same thing as an outsider in the industry of like, it's not about the single idea that subjectively some creative director someplace comes up with and executes in an office by themselves. It's a framework of how do you actually produce a lot of ideas to learn from those ideas in market, you know, with paid media behind it, to scale those things all the way to these bigger moments so that you actually like probabilistically increase your chances of doing more of those big ideas that actually move the needle on business or culture and in drive culture. And so that's what I became obsessed with the past two years. And from, you know, where Gary sits as the founder and CEO is in an independent shop where there, it's very easy here for us to move and mobilize and pivot around a framework and a system of beliefs like that versus the holding company life where there's just certain structural things that, you know, would actually not allow you to do a lot of what we do here because it's a publicly traded company. And so that, that for me has been just a, a, a like a resounding, like a massive change from how I used to live my life every 90 days. Carrie, you know, lives in the 30-year macro vision of doing the right thing at all times. And how are we actually building something that will work and scale in perpetuity? Not just get lucky and do one thing good once. Yeah, it makes, then, makes all the sense in the world, though. It allows you to actually just live and do things the way you should and, and want to be doing them all the time. Yeah, and what, what's what's tough about the publicly traded holding company life is that for all intents and purposes, like they're misaligned from day one because of their business model and reporting structure to Wall Street with the clients. You know, like they actually like can't always do the right thing because their business model precludes them from doing it. And so as I've gotten out of it for the past two years, those things become way more, you know, evident, way faster. And, you know, that's just the nature of that business. But in an independent shop where you don't have any of that to, you know, worry about, you can really focus on things in a much different way for how to actually build brands um, for the partners that you have that that doesn't require you to do certain things that, that would be, you know, not tolerated in a holding company. Like you would literally be fired in 90 days, you know, if you don't hit certain, you know, uh, expectations. Yeah. 
let's um i i want to be respectful of your evening here so there's the the last part of this conversation i've been dying to get to um nick what are like uh on the personal and the branding topics what are your favorite what's your favorite platform right now social media um i would say i probably would answer this based on where i spend the most time and so I think that's a good filter for it, first filter at least. You know, I've not really thought about it too much. But I have to say that, like, I'm most excited about and spend the most time, so those two filters being um, on LinkedIn. So why you know, I, why, why I, tiptoe that? I feel like you're tiptoeing around that. Uh, no, I think about it, which is I've been spending so much time on TikTok lately because I'm kind of obsessed with TikTok too. Gotcha. Um, but I'm trying to think, like, what's the right way to evaluate this to give you, like, the truest answer of it? I think it would be what I'm most excited to open each time and what I spend the most time on. And I think it's LinkedIn for, like, more of a simple reason than, you know, uh, than, than what I could, you know, expand on for an hour is um, number one reason would be I find that the sheer lack of negativity fits with when I am tuning out from whatever activity I'm doing to tune into social media, like I don't need to read news and I don't, you know, about, you know, what Trump is doing. And I don't need to hear people saying things that are really negative. I just want a quick dose of information, ideation, positivity, just because it's, it's, it's what I look for from social media. And it seems to me like LinkedIn is really providing that. And then the reason why TikTok is kind of, I guess, in second place is, it kind of does the same thing, just in a, a different style of content that's probably a little bit more ridiculous yeah. than what happens in the LinkedIn feed. But I live my life so much on that premise of I literally bought into a life of being an idea person. Therefore, I kind of flow to wherever the most ideas are. And LinkedIn has a lot of ideas. So I have to ask you, when you come up with this omelet flip, <laughs> what what's the thought process before that gets posted to LinkedIn for the first time? Um, really no thought in so much as I've used LinkedIn since I've really started to get to know them as, um, really just another place where every single thing on the planet has the potential to be somewhat relevant. Should there be an audience that's interested, (laughs) which is kind of what's unique about social media is that you make it, you know, it's not like CBS makes it and you have to consume it. It's made by people. And so I guess I just started in from a funny place. Like I, I'd always been, you know, tossing eggs around in the restaurant and stuff like that. And then years and years ago, I posted a video on Facebook about it. And then just like very organically, people started to like almost ask for more of it. And then what's so funny about LinkedIn is one of the reasons why I love LinkedIn is I think a there's there's not a lot of content like that around you know living eggs or cooking even on LinkedIn. But I find that like in the feed, especially on the weekends, for people who are actually there enjoying the LinkedIn newsfeed, like, it's kind of like a, a fun way to just engage with something that's kind of stupid for a second and also just kind of like interesting to some people. And so I kind of also like the fact that it's not like everything else that's in a feed because I think that's how you keep social media interesting is that you got to kind of be disruptive so that all the content in a feed doesn't all look and feel the same. And that's what I feel happened with too many of the platforms. Like Instagram kind of feels that way to me. It's like very like genericized content. Um, you know, Facebook feels that way to me a bit in some respects in the way that their algorithm works. Twitter is hard to follow. 
you know, um, and then that's why I'm so excited about TikTok is like the variability of content and the creativity around what people are doing with it. I'm always surprised by. So I think that's why I like LinkedIn and TikTok as well is I kind of like being surprised by content still. And it seems like in those two places, because it's really all organic and not paid at all with media, there's a lot of people trying to surprise each other to get attention. Yeah. And so um, that, that's what I, you know, that's what I like. And then obviously, if I overlay the third macro reason is I'm really obsessed with these platforms because it, it, it's how I make my living. Sure. You know, this is where the consumer's attention is and it's how we grow businesses. Have, so, have um, you noticed you know, that the LinkedIn police have kind of died and gone away? I never knew LinkedIn police. Uh, what was that all about? No, like you, like there was always, well, for years anyway, there was a, you know, there was the people would jump into the comments of this is, you know, leave this for Facebook or this, this is meant for Instagram. There, there was kind of that culture of folks who would have jumped on you for the omelet flip, for example. Oh, really? I, I never experienced that. It, well, it's good. I mean, that's, that's awesome. And, and I love, I mean, LinkedIn's my favorite platform at the time, at, at the moment. And the reasons, all the reasons you laid out. And one thing I want to ask you is, do you fear or have, or does it happen to all platforms that the negativity will eventually find its way on there? Yeah. My, my theory is that like, I guess macro theory on social media is it's just a reflection of, of kind of who we all are as a species. So eventually, you know, like and Gary's talked about it because he was so early on so much of these platforms, but Twitter, he always says like, it's so funny early on in Twitter. It was like, the, man, how can I help you? You know, like positive place. Sure. And eventually it takes a turn. I think the difference with LinkedIn is because it still has this air of like the professional you, I think that people will be a little bit more cautious about the hot take negative stuff because of fear of what that means for them in a professional setting. And so it's, it's a little bit like how you keep your certain composures as humans when you're at work, but when the clock gets you know punched out and you go to the bar, you act a little different. I think LinkedIn will keep uh, you know it a little bit more classy because of, of that reality that like it's a little bit closer to your work and that would have people behave a little bit better. That's yeah. my hope at least. Yeah, and I, I think you're probably spot on with that. And you, you, Nick, are one of a couple of accounts that I follow on LinkedIn that just generally always has something inspirational or uh, eye-opening, right, in your in your feed and your posts. And so I just want to thank you thank for you. adding all that positivity oh, to the community. Thank you, man. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's funny. It's, it's so odd that, like, you know, in this day and age, like – we're able to communicate these ideas, able to do what we're doing right now in podcasts and, and be able to reach each other. And so, um, you know, it's kind of a gift and it just means the world to me to hear you say that because, you know, it, even if it's just you, it still makes it worth it because I think you take it and you do what you do with it. Hopefully it impacts two other people and four other people and eight other people. And so, you know, I think that's, you know, my thesis about what the world needs more of. So, um, that means the world. Well, Thanks for saying yeah, that. You're welcome and keep it up. And any out the door um, or I have you know, any actionable out the door advice for marketers or companies or, or advertisers that, that someone hearing this could take with them that they might not otherwise be doing that you that you would suggest? Sure, sure, sure. Um, you know, a, a big, you know, um, you know, principle or like deep belief that I have that, you know, I wish... I could spend more time talking to every single person that would listen to this to talk at depth, you know, at length about it. Would be um, 
the transformation that most marketers are looking for in terms of how to unlock the potential growth through marketing is contingent on moving away from a model that's defined by the need to um, find uh, to be right through our subjective prowess and our um, you know ways of sitting in boardrooms debating the merits of ideas and concepts and moving into more of a world where we need to find right and that looks way more like uh, creative engineering you know with many hypotheses put out into the world with very little censorship at a small level of what ideas are good or bad and i think the thing that kills most momentum on brand is that almost all of the ideas never get the light of day um and they should because you can never learn anything about anything that you don't put out into the world you know it's like the you miss 100 percent of the shots you don't take and so i think you know that alone could transform someone's business listening and would love to talk more about it and it's the thing that i've studied the most since coming here to vayner and, and always felt instinctively that we're doing wrong as an industry is using our subjectivities to misguide us at, at the cost of having a lot of great thinking never uh, materialize. Yeah, and that's crazy to think about if you think about it up in the clouds, like how many great ideas are just left on the floor. Yeah, because someone deemed it not good based on their subjectivity. That doesn't feel on brand. I don't like it. You know, my kid doesn't like it. It's not orange. I like re- I like orange better. <laughs> you know, don't use red. But that, that's kind of the hallmarks of marketing. It's been because of the media channels where you didn't have the ability to put things out and actually learn about them. You had to say, shit, if, if I got to spend $200 million on TV this quarter, I, I need a thing and I need to put it in a TV guy and it just needs to be what I think is right because I'm never going to get any data back from the TV buy right away, the way that Facebook could tell me in less than five hours what the view-through rate is of the 10,000 people that the ad was served through. And I can make adjustments to that idea based on the view-through rate and the fact that nobody wants to watch it or that everybody wants to watch it, right? So that's really, you know, um, the thing that I'm, I'm kind of focused mostly on right now is culturally how to, how to break through that um, you know, ceiling, which is all about just like the no culture and creating more of a yes and culture in creative and marketing organizations. Because I feel like that's that's a thing that really um, you know, leads to all the good stuff. I feel like because like you especially, but me and, and other marketers, because we're in it, we feel that that stuff might be pretty obvious in today's world. But I promise you, and, and I'm sure you know this, that is not something that most companies or business leaders are thinking about or even recognize. Oh, yeah. And, and even worse is, and it's sad, is if you've made it to the top of a marketing organization, it's now your time to say no. That's right. what you've seen in front of you for 20 years is, wow, the creative director gets to say no. The CMO gets to say no. You know, and our model here at Vayner is like, how do we liberate everybody so that you can say yes to everything at a certain scale before you spend significant dollars to make sure that when you do spend those significant dollars, it actually works. So, yeah. you know, that's, that's, that's the hard part. It's a cultural shift. It, it, it's change management more than it is even, you know, a creative conversation. Slow moving. Mm-hmm. Well, Nick, look, man, I, I appreciate the, the, the 40 minutes this, this evening and um, keep up what you're doing. And, uh, cool, man, yeah. I can't wait to start checking out more of your stuff too. Uh, I'm excited. Let's, uh, let's stay connected. I appreciate it, man. And um, uh, congrats. And April 25th is a big day. So that's, that's around the corner. <laughs> Oh, man, and get some sleep. 
<laughs> Cheers. Congratulations on one year and, and look forward to your second year with more mouths to feed and, and less sleep to be had. But keep yeah. having fun, man. It's all good. I, I appreciate so, it. Thank you, Nick. Cool. Okay, cool. Right, thanks. All right. Guys, I hope you enjoyed that episode. It was a fun conversation. Um, as promised in the intro, here's a little bit of that B-roll conversation I had with Nick. Oh, no worries. Man. No, it sounds great. Awesome. Um, uh, before we get going, give me a little background. I don't have that much context. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad we can make it work. Sure. So I'm, I, just, I operate a small um, marketing company in the Philadelphia suburbs. Um, we service businesses uh, with... Which tw- one? Which, I'm in Chestnut Hill all the time. That's a suburb right now. Oh, awesome. Yeah. So I used to live um, right down the street from Chestnut Hill in a town, Plymouth Meeting. Cool. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we're, it's, uh, we're in that area. Um, uh, we have an office, it's, uh, up in Lansdale, so it's a little farther up the turnpike, but, um, yeah, things are good. What do y'all do? So we service businesses. Um, it's a little bit of like the Sasha group that you guys have. We serve businesses with uh, 25 or less or 30 or less employees that need marketing help, but they really can't afford to do it on, 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 a, on the proper scale. Cool. Yeah. So they bring what, us what in. Do you, yeah. What do you do? Do you consult for them? Or do you no, we, do the making and stuff? Yeah. We come in and actually do the work. So I've, I've got a team behind me of designers and, and developers and we come in and for a much lower cost, we can kind of help them out. Things are good. It was it was slow getting started. Um, a little humbling as I kind of left the corporate world, but it's um, definitely taken off and it's been it's been exciting. Nice man. Yeah. How many years? How many years is going? Not. It's not even a year yet. Oh my goodness! Wow. Yeah. That's so, a big a big anniversary coming up then. Huh? Yeah. It's um, and then we found out you know we're pregnant with a third child, so there's been a little bit going on. Oh my goodness! That's that's quite a year. Yeah, it's been fun. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you. Still sleeping at all or no? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're, uh, well, this was, this is a surprise for us. So we have two twin boys that are five years old and we were kind of, my wife and I feeling like, um, we're kind of coming out of the, the baby stage and going to start, you know, traveling and <laughs> not quite. Oh, you poor thing. I'm just getting, uh, married April 25th and we've been talking about how much we want twin boys since one of our friends had twin boys and, or twins in general just because it seemed like he could be done with it all pretty quickly all at once but damn that sounds that sounds real when you're going through yeah you look I mean no one ever uh, you know grows up and they're 60 and regrets having kids so it's it's yeah, all exactly right yeah it all works out absolutely <laughs> cool man so what is uh, the podcast all about and you know just give me context so I can yeah, I started this as kind of a way to talk to other entrepreneurs and, and find um, common ground or, or have conversations with folks who had started businesses. And it, it slowly morphed into kind of having conversations with people that are just really interesting and involved in interesting things. And it doesn't have to be marketing or uh, entrepreneurship related at all. And, um, you know, there's folks like you came to mind and, um, you know, other executives. I've got uh, David Meltzer coming up, who I, I know you guys are. Uh, cool. Familiar yeah, yeah, with, yeah, so, yeah, I know, I know pretty well, yeah. Um, it's really just we actually go ahead. He's, I forget where he sits, but I recently met him actually for the first time. I think it was in the Vayner office, but I I feel like I know him better because I know his content so well because we work with him. But I'm realizing I'm like I haven't spent that much time with him, but he seems like a really good dude. Yeah, I, uh, <laughs> I obviously pick up a lot of a lot of his content from obviously you know you guys and and Gary from a year or so ago, but. Um, 
I'm excited to chat with him. And, and that's kind of what it's all about is just having raw conversations with interesting people. Cool, man. Yeah. Uh, how do you want to do it? I just, it's pr- pretty conversational. Yeah. I just, I really just want to thank you for taking the time and, uh, you know, making this work. I know that you're busy and I, I and you know me from nobody. So I appreciate you, you know, carving out a, a few minutes here. Uh, friends in, in the, in the Pennsylvania, Philadelphia area. It's nice to meet you. <laughs> hey, thank you. Yeah. So guys, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to today's episode. It would mean the world to us if you would leave a rating wherever you're listening, whether that's Apple Podcasts, um, Spotify, Google Podcasts, anywhere where you're consuming this this show, we would appreciate you t- leaving some feedback for us. Thank you so much.